Welcome to episode 63 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Okay, right away, we're going to do something a little different. Normally, every episode that I do starts with a bit of a song, right? Well, not this episode. I'd like to introduce this song first rather than just have it playing for a few seconds, then fading into the background. The song you're going to hear right now is by Charles Bradley, Rest His Soul. And this is his version of God Bless America. Hello, this is Charles Bradley. A brother that came from the hard licks of life that knows that America is my home. America, you've been real, honest, hurt, and sweet to me. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Just know that all the pains that I've been through, it made me strong to stand strong that know America represents love for all humanity and the world. I say from my heart. Welcome back. I have my issues with the United States. I have my issues with God or the concept of God and how God relates to day-to-day -day life in the United States, politics in the United States especially. I do want to say this. The ideals that the United States is supposed to represent, that all people are created equal, that kind of thing, though it's not actually true, and we're going to talk about that in this episode for sure, those ideals are something to be treasured in some way and fought for to make real, right? To fight hard to make sure that all people are created or treated equal, I believe. Goddamn, Charles Bradley, what a voice, truly. What an insanely amazing voice and what a person he was. It's super, super interesting person. I kind of really can't say enough good about Charles Bradley. The dude just embodied fucking power in that voice and so much more really intense. Guess what? There is going to be another Charles Bradley song coming up later in the episode at the very end, and that is his version of the song Changes, originally performed by Black Sabbath. The music of this episode is fucking incredible. Really, truly. We'll talk about that in a sec. I haven't even said what this episode is about yet. I haven't even gotten to that part yet. Usually I'm right out of the starting gate with that shit, right? Episode 63 of the Bobcast is all about and kind of surrounding Freedom Summer or the Mississippi Summer Project of 1964. And the events of the summer of 1964 were huge. They led to the passing of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which we're going to talk about at kind of the very end of the episode. This grew from me just talking about Freedom Summer into talking about the history before Freedom Summer, way before Freedom Summer, 
and also the history after Freedom Summer up to current times. So it kind of grew from just an episode that was going to be all about Freedom Summer, those events, which is a big enough event in its own right to have devote, I don't know, fuck, like 10 episodes to or more. It's really, really crazy. Really interesting, very important, though, more than anything else, I believe. I'm talking about voting rights for black folks in America prior to Freedom Summer and following Freedom Summer in this episode as well. Kind of a condensed history of voting rights for black people in the United States of America after slavery ended, after the Civil War, more or less. Now, what is the Voting Rights Act of 1965? The Voting Rights Act prohibited racial discrimination in voting and enforced the 15th Amendment to the Constitution. And the 15th Amendment to the Constitution gave black men the right to vote in the year 1870. This is tricky, and we're going to get into some of the details of why Freedom Summer was a a very necessary thing, even though legally, all across the entire United States, Black people did have the right to vote in 1964. Now, you notice I said black men gained the right to vote in the year 1870. Yes, because women in the United States did not gain the right to vote until the year 1920. And holy fuck, what? God, that's like a whole nother can of worms that I'm sure we'll get around to opening at some point. Women only gained the right to vote 100 years ago. Think about that for a second. Really, think about it. What the fucking crazy fucking place that we live in. So we're going to talk about Freedom Summer, voting rights in general for black people in the United States of America, and how those rights have been stripped away over the last seven years since the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was gutted in 2013 and kind of seen as not needed anymore by the Supreme Court. Ah, boy. Since then... Yeah, like something like two hours after this ruling of the Supreme Court in 2013, Texas started fucking with voting laws in the state that effectively like destroyed the black and Latinx vote in that state. And that's why we have Trump. I'm going to talk more about that way at the end of the episode, but holy fucking Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's horrible shit. The first half of this episode We're going to talk about the history that leads up to the need for Freedom Summer. Then we're going to talk about Freedom Summer itself. In the second half of the episode, we're going to talk about the aftermath of Freedom Summer up to the current day and where we're at now in this country. And from a voting standpoint right now, we're not in a good place at all. Truly, We're really, really not in a good place. You'll see for sure. The music, though, oh, let's talk about the music for a minute. Something happy and positive for sure. The music in this episode is fucking phenomenal. Uh, great. Charles Bradley. You had God Bless America up first. Another Charles Bradley song at the very end, as I stated earlier. Coming up next, after I finish talking here and also a little later in the episode, two songs by The Bell Rays. And oh, fuck yes, The Bell Rays. And God damn it, why I never asked the Bell Rays to be on a Bobcast episode in the past, I don't know. Because they are one of the greatest fucking bands in the entire world. And I gotta say this, too. The Bell Rays, you have to see them live. You really do. To really appreciate them. I think, the, I mean, the music, just listening to it, is fuck. Oh, holy shit, it's gnarly. But if you see them live, 
it all comes through just the power of this band. Oh my God. And it's horrible to say, go see him live. Yeah, yeah. Bob, uh, if you didn't notice, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, yes, I know. They are doing some live shows that you can watch, like a streaming show kind of situation. They just did one on July 25th, which is a couple days before this episode comes out. So yeah, look for more live streaming shows from the Bell Rays. Follow the Bell Rays on social media. Check out some videos of them playing on YouTube. They will blow your mind. They will completely blow you away. I love the Bell Rays. I saw them once, a side note real quick. I saw them once at the Velvet in San Diego back in the late 90s. And they fucking destroyed the place. Just one of the most powerful bands in the history of rock and roll. Truly an amazing band. So I've talked so much about the Bell Rays. I never even mentioned what songs we're going to hear. The first song is a song called Black Lightning. Coming up after that later on in the episode is a song, Everybody Get Up. And that's a fucking anthem. Yeah, I can't wait for you to hear the Bell Rays if you never have. They're fucking incredible. In this episode, we're also going to hear from Red Brontosaurus Records and a few words about the ACLU and how you can help them with their mission to protect the civil liberties of all Americans. Prepare to be rocked. Black Lightning will be playing right after a few words from our friends at Red Brontosaurus Records. Stay tuned. What's new at Red Brontosaurus Records, you ask? Let me tell you. Since the shutdown due to COVID-19, Red Brontosaurus Records has been busy revamping and improving the shop. Red Brontosaurus Records is putting in a large selection of musical instruments, guitars, amps, pedals, strings, and more for your music-making needs. Red Brontosaurus Records has been consolidating and improving the used VHS, Blu-ray, and DVD selections for your viewing pleasure. Used video game selection at Red Brontosaurus Records is one of my favorite things about my favorite store in San Diego. Red Brontosaurus has a huge selection of used video games and new and used video game consoles and accessories in stock now. Also keep in mind, the video game inventory is growing as we speak. Red Brontosaurus Records, America's finest record and more store in America's finest city. Check Red Brontosaurus Records out today. Nothing you can do. 
How was that Bell Ray song? Holy shit. Yeah. Let's talk about some serious subjects here for a little bit. Slavery was abolished in the United States with the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. That followed the Civil War in December of 1865. Well, that is unless you're convicted of committing a crime. Slavery technically is still legal to this day. A hint, watch the 13th documentary on Netflix That will blow your fucking mind. Following the 13th Amendment, the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution of the United States came after the 13th Amendment and the end of slavery, and those amendments, the 14th and 15th, are referred to as the Reconstruction Amendments. Reconstruction, that refers to the rebuilding of the American South following the Civil War. These three amendments, 13th, 14th, and 15th, were adopted between 1865 and 1870. The 13th abolished slavery. The 14th Amendment made former slaves actual citizens of the United States and was supposed to grant all rights pertaining to said citizenship. The 15th Amendment was supposed to grant the right to vote to citizens of the United States regardless of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So, free the slaves make them citizens, and grant them the right to vote. That's good stuff, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, that's not exactly how things went. After the Civil War, with the federal government amending the Constitution the way they did, let's just say the southern states weren't about to let go of the years and years of oppression, hatred, racism, that type of thing that they held for black folks. So Jim Crow laws came into effect in the 1870s in much of the South violently preventing blacks from voting, even though legally, by that 15th Amendment to the Constitution, they were allowed to vote. That was much of the norm in the South. And how they did that was through literacy tests, poll taxes, having to own property to be eligible to vote, uh, moral character tests, all this crazy shit just to keep black people from voting. There were grandfather clauses that said, you can vote, you can vote. If your grandfather did, uh, well, if your grandfather was a slave that could not vote, then obviously you couldn't vote. That was a little catch-22 situation, obviously very much on purpose. The feds did, in 1870, pass something called the Enforcement Acts, which should have given every black man of voting age anywhere in the country the ability to vote safely. The feds did actually enforce that, allowing black people to vote, or black men at the time, to vote, but they only did that during Reconstruction and during the federal occupation of the South, and that was from around 1867 until 1877. During that period of time, from 1867 to 1877, somewhere near half a million black men voted. Things were looking good for a a pretty short time, Uh, but... In 1875, the Supreme Court had struck down key provisions of the Enforcement Acts, and by 1894, 
most of the enforcement acts were repealed by Congress, gone. All the while, the states of the South were happily preventing black people from voting any way they possibly could. Now, this kind of this does kind of make me wonder. You know how modern day conservatives they fucking go on and on, just yammer about states' rights, states' rights before anything else. I wonder if it kind of goes back to all that, to the federal government enforcing policies that allowed black men to vote at that time in the in the 19th century. I wonder if it goes back to that with them saying, well, the states have to have their rights. Well, you're, you're going to learn more about that later in this episode, too, for sure. When the federal government can't enforce federal law on states, shit gets fucked up. So just wait a little bit for that, okay? So at that time, you know, in the 19, late 19th century, nationwide blacks were legally allowed to vote, right? But the southern states, as I kind of alluded to a little earlier, they came in and said, well, you can vote if you can pass this reading and writing test kind of thing. Sorry about the southern accent. I don't mean to offend anybody in the South that actually might speak like that. Well, here's the thing with that. If you can vote if you can pass this literacy test, right? If you were born a slave in the United States during those times, chances were good you never became literate. No one would teach a slave how to read or write, T typically. That's a very general statement for sure. But typically, you were not going to learn how to read and write, so you would not be literate. Oh, but by the way, if you were illiterate and you were a white person, oh, that's where those grandfather clauses or grandfather laws came into effect, the grandpappy laws, saying that, well, if your grandfather voted, you can vote. If you're a slave and you're black, um, no, you couldn't because your grandfather couldn't vote, didn't legally have the right to vote. If you're a white, didn't matter if you're illiterate or not. Your grandfather probably did vote. So, yeah, white folks, uh, go ahead and vote. The rest of you, go fuck yourselves. That kind of shit. And what pisses me off about that, and that that also comes up modern day as well, how fucking sneaky that is, right? Like, well, the grandfather thing. Like, if your grandfather could vote, well, how come my grandfather couldn't vote? He was a slave. <laughs> Tough shit. Well, my grandfather voted, even though I can't read or write. Well, that's fine, because you're white. God damn it. It's fucked up, dude. And I'll tell you what, the other thing, too, is it's almost like the Civil War after the North won, or however you want to say it, the Union, right, in the South was vanquished. And all their bullshit with slavery and all that stuff had to end. It's almost like those changes were just on paper only, that it wasn't didn't really result in much of an actual change for the lives of black people through the South. And that sucks. That really does suck. We're going to get more into the states' rights things later on. You'll see, especially as it pertains to voting, because, oh my God, yeah, there's some bad shit going on. Once again, and it affects primarily black people and their ability to vote, which is fucked. After the Reconstruction era, Jim Crow laws come into effect. If you're black and you're living in the South, you basically can't vote. Here's an example of that. During Reconstruction and the occupation of Mississippi, by federal troops, 90% of voting-aged black men were registered to vote. That's crazy. After kind of the state's rights thing and they started striking down all these reconstruction laws and all this stuff, in 1892, less than 6% of voting-aged black men in Mississippi were registered to vote. 
That's fucking gnarly. From 90% to 6%. That's fucking gnarly. Fast forward to 1940, only 3% of the entire southern United States population of voting-aged men and women that were black were registered to vote. Now, that was all due to official and unofficial practices designed to keep the black population from voting in the South. This is where Freedom Summer, or the Mississippi Summer Project, comes in. In 1963, an organization called the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, organized something called the Freedom Vote in Mississippi. The Freedom Vote was a mock election. In other words, it was kind of like a trial run to see how black voter participation would be if they were able to vote without gnarly restrictions or basically like getting killed if they tried to vote. And now here's something very important to note about that time period in Mississippi in 1963. In order to just register to vote, if you were black, you had to answer 21 questions related to the Mississippi state constitution. These, these could be questions from any part of the 285 sections of that state's constitution. Then this fucking questionnaire had to go to the state registrators who were all white. So these registrators would normally decide against your voter registration if you were black, if they could tell by your name that you're black, that kind of thing. They would go, um, yeah, they answered everything right, but I don't like the way this one went, you know, and fucking throw it in the trash. Like, God damn. Or if you didn't answer the questions right, immediately disqualified. So, and it doesn't appear that white people had to fill out that same questionnaire that black people did in order to be able to register to vote. Yeah, interesting, right? So this mock election, kind of a trial run, kind of a like a what-if situation was held, and tens of thousands of the black citizens of Mississippi took part. If black people could vote without restrictions, guess what? They fucking voted. They absolutely came out. Tens of thousands of them came out and voted. That's great. So that set the stage for what was to become Freedom Summer in 1964. In February of 1964, the SNCC began recruiting college students across the country as workers and volunteers in a drive to register black people so they could actually vote in Mississippi. These workers and volunteers, 90% of them were white, and there were over 1,000 of them. A quick thing to note here, too. When the members of the SNCC first started to seek out volunteers to help out in this process, they said they didn't want anyone with a John Brown complex. And I read that, and I go, well, who? Wait, who's John Brown? Holy shit. John Brown was a white man who can pretty much take all the credit for starting the Civil War? This dude was gnarly. I'm going to have to do a full episode about him because he's gnarly. And the debate still kind of rages on about whether or not he was like a truly good person whose best interest was in assisting slaves and freeing black people from slavery. Or if he was just kind of like this fucking nut job guy. Either way... This one guy pretty much started the Civil War. Very, very interesting. He was a gnarly dude. John Brown was an abolitionist, somebody who wanted slavery in the United States to end. John Brown was a militant abolitionist, and he advocated ending slavery by force, armed force. 
He wanted to start a slave uprising, arm all the free slaves, and kick the fucking shit out of anybody who wanted slavery to continue. I don't think that's crazy. I actually think that's really good in some ways. It's kind of like, you want to keep these these people as slaves? Um, let, no, I'm going to free them, give them all guns, and then they're going to come fuck you up. Like, that's fantastic in some ways, I think. If you want to start learning a little bit about John Brown before I actually do an episode about him, read about the Harper's Ferry Raid of 1859. And that event is what is said to have escalated tensions with the South, and that raid caused the South to secede from the Union, which essentially caused a civil war. So John Brown, also, also worthy to note about John Brown is, he was the first person in the history of the United States up to that point to be executed for treason. Yes, indeed. That's, I have to tell that story. It's crazy. Well, let's get back to Freedom Summer. The SNCC recruited a bunch of mostly white college kids to help get black voters in Mississippi registered to vote in the summer of 1964. They focused on Mississippi because of the fact that despite Mississippi's population being about one-third black, only 6.7% of the black population was registered to vote. That was the lowest percentage of any population in the entire South at that time. And now that's up from 3% in 1940, but that is still a shockingly low number of people that were black that could actually vote. Orientation sessions for Freedom Summer were held at the Western College for Women in Oxford, Ohio in June of 1964, and off they went down to Mississippi to spend the summer helping get people registered to vote. Right away, Right out of the starting gate, these volunteers and anyone associated with Freedom Summer were attacked, harassed, and in some cases, killed. The event that really brought national attention to Freedom Summer was the murder of James Cheney, a black activist from Mississippi and part of CORE, C-O-R-E, or Congress of Racial Equality, Andrew Goodman, a white volunteer, and Michael Schwerner, also a white volunteer. Note to both Goodman and Schwerner were members of CORE alongside James Cheney. These three were initially pulled over for speeding in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Then they were arrested for arson, the burning of a black church. Interestingly enough, a, a white cop arrested three civil rights activists for burning a black church. Okay. And the day all this happened was June 21st of 1964. The three of them were released by nightfall. Then they were ambushed kidnapped and murdered by members of the KKK from the Philadelphia, Mississippi area. One of the members of the Klan is supposedly the cop that initially arrested them, by the way. That cop's name was Cecil Price, and he was never actually arrested for the murders of those three, though he was charged and jailed for four and a half years for conspiring to murder the three civil rights workers. So yeah, these murders brought national attention to not only Freedom Summer, but also the way shit worked in Mississippi at the time, and which was basically a free-for-all for white fucking racists. It was like a KKK-run fucking horror movie of a state. And I say that because while they were searching for the bodies of Cheney, Goodman, and Schwerner, they found eight additional bodies in a swamp, seven men and a child who were all black. And those eight, they suspect, were also killed by the KKK. And this begs the question now, doesn't it? I know this is from a long time ago. Who gives a shit? There's, there's no statute of limitations on murder, correct? 
Why aren't the KKK labeled in this country as a terrorist organization? You know, that fuck in the White House wants to label Antifa, which it, are people who are anti-fascist. Fucking, God forbid, those horrible people. God, fuck. Why aren't the KKK fucking t- considered terrorists? They terrorized black America for so long. And they, are, they ain't shit now. They're like nothing. They're all fucking cops now. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, why don't why are they not labeled a terrorist organization? Fuck the KKK so hard. Fuck them. So these murders of the three civil rights workers are front page news. It's huge. Freedom Summer becomes front page news. And what that also brought a lot of attention to was the plight, the struggle of the average black person in the South to just simply exist and to be able to register to vote, which is such a minor thing for the average person in the United States at the time, a white person could register to vote like it was nothing, right? And people were seeing, oh, shit, no, black folks have it. It's fucked up the way they're being forced to live. But what really sucks about that, too, is, you know what brought all that attention on this, the whole Freedom Summer thing and the whole movement and the struggle of black folks in the South were the death of two white people, two white kids, college kids, essentially getting killed by the KKK. That kind of fucking sucks, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, people in the United States, all over the United States, knew all about the struggles of black folks just trying to survive in the South and never did shit about it. Not really, not on a large scale anyways. Now, all of a sudden, two white kids and their black friend are murdered by the KKK and people got upset about it enough for things to start changing. Uh, Racism and white privilege are fucked up. So fucked up. It's incredible that, that that's what it took. God damn, it's so fucked up, I'm telling you. By the end of Freedom Summer, not many black folks were actually able to register to vote. But I'll tell you what, it sure as fuck helped propel the civil rights movement of the 1960s into the national conversation. More than I think anything else, that's my opinion for sure. And that is a good thing. Let's take a break. I got a few words from the ACLU coming up and then the Bell Ray song. Everybody get up. Stand by. In the years following World War One, America was gripped by the fear that the communist revolution that had taken place in Russia would spread to the United States. As is often the case when fear outweighs rational debate, civil liberties paid the price. In November 1919 and January 1920, in what notoriously became known as the Palmer Raids, Attorney General Mitchell Palmer began rounding up and deporting so-called radicals. Thousands of people were arrested without warrants and without regard to constitutional protections against unlawful search and seizure. Those arrested were brutally treated and held in horrible conditions. In the face of these civil liberties abuses, a small group of people decided to take a stand and thus was born the American Civil Liberties Union. Today, the ACLU continues to fight government abuse and to vigorously defend individual freedoms, including speech and religion, a woman's right to choose, the right to due process, citizens' rights to privacy, and much more. 
Donate to the ACLU by visiting www.aclu.org. The ACLU website also has many resources available for ways that you can take action to help make our world a better place. Visit www.aclu.org for more info.
Welcome to part two of the episode. How about the Bell Race? Goddamn. Yes, that band does have everything good about rock and roll all in one convenient package. The final things about Freedom Summer. It was so much bigger than I might be indicating in the first part of the episode. It was a grassroots movement that started Freedom Schools, Freedom Libraries. Those were places where black people had access to education and library services for people that normally did not have access to those types of things through the primarily white schools and white libraries, those systems were not accessible to black people in the South, specifically Mississippi at the time. A ton, a ton of organizations were part of Freedom Summer as well, besides the SNCC and CORE, the NAACP, Another example, the National Lawyers Guild were there to help people with legal issues related to the movement and more, so much more. Let me throw some statistics at you about the violence that was perpetrated on people who took part or volunteered in Freedom Summer. 1,062 people were arrested for various really made-up reasons. 80 workers for Freedom Summer were beaten or assaulted. 37 black churches were burned or bombed in Mississippi at the time, and 30 black homes or businesses were bombed or burned as well. At least, at least three black citizens of Mississippi were murdered due to their involvement in Freedom Summer. There was likely more than that, though. So Freedom Summer was a big deal. It was a, it was a big, big fight for sure. So let's talk about the aftermath and the issues that African-Americans or black people still have to this day with voting in the United States. Here's something else, too. The FBI did get involved with those murders, the murders of Cheney, Goodman, and Schwerner, as did Attorney General Robert Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. The FBI infiltrated the Klan in Mississippi, and they sorted out who was involved in the killing of those three people. Kind of fuck all was done about it. I mean, seven of those shitheads that were involved in the murders, they did some time, but none of them served more than six years. However, much later in 2005, one of the people involved in the murders of those three, Edgar Ray Killen, was indicted for murder and convicted of three counts of manslaughter, strangely enough, on the 41st anniversary of the crime itself. That piece of shit is serving three 20-year sentences as of 2007. So, yeah, he got 60 fucking years. Good. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 was enacted on July 2nd, 1964, and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was first proposed by JFK in June of 1963. The Civil Rights Act was huge, though enforcement of that act was initially pretty weak. And this is why I'm talking about that. The Voting Rights Act of 1965, which Freedom Summer was a big part of getting this pushed forward and pushed into law. It was signed into law on August 6th of 1965 by President Lyndon Johnson, The Voting Rights Act of 1965 is considered the most effective piece of civil rights legislation ever enacted in the United States of America. That law got rid of the kind of the bullshit, the literacy tests, any of those weird, the grandfather, any of that weird shit that the southern states had thrown in to keep black people from voting. 
the Voting Rights Act got rid of. Another thing the Voting Rights Act did, it placed federal examiners and observers in areas where voting discrimination was taking place. And guess what? By 1967, more than half of eligible African-American voters in the United States were registered to vote. See, just like the Freedom Vote, that precursor to the Freedom Summer, proved if black folks could vote without restriction or threat of violence or death, they would go out and vote in big, big numbers. The, the Voting Rights Act was huge, a huge, huge thing. And not just for African-Americans or black people, also for Latinx and Asian-Americans, thanks to bilingual amendments that were made to the Voting Rights Act in 1975 and 1992. The numbers of Latinx and Asian-American registered voters more than doubled after these bilingual amendments to the Voting Rights Act. Fuck, that's fucking beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. That's one reason why I love this country. In some ways, that's where we're really getting to the all men or all people are created equal stuff, right? I mean, it is. <sighs> well, hang on. We got to fast forward a little bit before we get too happy about things. Shelby County versus Holder came before the Supreme Court in 2013. Now, this case argued that two provisions of the Voting Rights Act were unconstitutional, Section 5 and Section 4B. Section 5 held in this Supreme Court case. Section 5 stood. That was the part of the Voting Rights Act that forces certain states and local governments to get federal permission before they change voting laws or practices, okay? Section 4B, however, that was ruled as unconstitutional, and Section 4B determines which parts of the country are covered under Section 5. So really, they fucking killed both sections, 4B and 5, and cut them right the fuck out of the Voting Rights Act, and that gave back these historically problematic states the right to discriminate against minority voters at their fucking leisure. What it amounts to is this. Before this ruling, okay, a state like Texas, and Texas has a very large black population, they could not close a polling place or require voter IDs without permission from the federal government. Okay, after this ruling, in 2011, Texas actually did write a law that required voter IDs. For anybody to vote, you had to show a fucking ID, right? That was in limbo, and I believe it was out of fear that the federal government would get involved and say, uh-uh, no, you cannot do that, right? After the Supreme Court case, that voter ID law came right out. I, like two fucking hours after the Supreme Court case, Texas was waiting to pounce on this shit. And after the removal of this stuff from the Voting Rights Act, Texas got rid of 750 polling places. Nationwide... After these parts of the Voting Rights Act got removed, a little over 1,000 polling places nationwide shut down. Texas, 750 of those polling places that got closed were in fucking Texas. Oh, God damn it. As usual, Texas kind of leads us in the fucking shit asshole motherfucker fuck you division of people. God damn it. I'm sorry. 
to my friends in Texas. I love you guys. You're all, you're all fantastic. But the politicians in your state are fucking horrible, horrible people doing this shit. Oh my God. It's fucking ridiculous. Many other problem states in states that had needed to have federal overseeing to maintain like fair voting standards for minority peoples also followed suit. And this whole Supreme court ruling has been absolutely catastrophic to democracy in the United States of America. Fucking absolutely catastrophic. I got a couple of examples. Kemp versus Abrams in Georgia. It was an election that was going to decide the next governor of Georgia, right? Kemp won because they purged all these voter registrations right before the election. Over 300,000 registered voters in Georgia were wrongly flagged by Kemp's office as ineligible to vote. 53,000 new registration, new voter registrations were delayed by Kemp's office just prior to that election to where they wouldn't be registered to vote in time to actually vote. Very conveniently, Mr. Kemp was Secretary of State of Georgia while he was running for governor. And guess what the Secretary of State is in charge of? They're in charge of elections. In other words, yeah, that was a huge fucking conflict of interest to where even Jimmy Carter like called this guy or wrote to him or something and said, hey, you need to step down from that role if you're running for governor, you can't be in charge of the election because if you win, that's going to look really shitty. You know what? The Republicans don't fucking care anymore. They don't. And they, they truly, truly do not care about democracy anymore. I honestly believe that. So Kemp won. Kemp won that election by 55,000 votes. How convenient. He got rid of 300,000 registered voters that effectively couldn't vote. Oh, they said, well, they could have voted. They just would have had to do this, 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 and this. You'd have to jump through fucking hoops to vote. Or, you know, these 53,000 people that tried to register to vote, they held those registrations up, and it was all so Kemp would win. Oh, boy. This is another very interesting little fact. Most of those voters who were either purged or delayed in the registration process, they were black. Yeah, very, very interesting, which means in reality, they likely would have been voting for Abrams, who was a black woman and not Kemp. That fuck, it, fuck. I mean, it was fucking blatant. That was absolutely blatant. I believe there are still legal challenges going on to this day, but it's going nowhere, dude. It's we're fuck, dude, we're cooked. We're fucking cooked. Well, speaking of cooked, now we have Trump. And how did we get Trump? Oh, it's very interesting. It really is interesting when you really start looking into it. And I'm not talking crazy conspiracy theory shit. This is all above board. Anywhere you want to look for it, it's right fucking there. And it's pretty it's pretty telling how he won the election due to the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. So how exactly did we get Trump? It, well, let's put it this way. In the voting districts that were allowed to perform this voting fuckery after the Shelby versus Holder ruling, Trump won those districts. Where wherever any di any voting district that were allowed to fuck around with things and not have federal oversight, Trump won those districts. And what's funny is Obama 
won those same districts twice in 2008 and 2012. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that telling? The funny thing is, it's been said, well, it's because black voters weren't excited about Hillary and they were excited about Trump. Well, it's because the two candidates were both unlikable, this and that. And it's like, no, eh, when you really start to look at it, nobody wanted Trump. So many people wanted to vote just against him. They did just like the thing that's going on with Biden in the upcoming election this year in 2020. So we'll see how that fucking goes. So oh, I don't want to talk about that. God damn it. But it's funny how that worked, isn't it? Oh, but these districts that overwhelmingly voted for Obama now all of a sudden flipped and voted Republican, voted for Trump. Yeah, very, very funny. Those districts did pull out all the gerrymandering and voter suppression tricks in the book. And now we have a fucking wannabe dictator for a goddamn president. You know what? Seriously, goodbye democracy. Hello, fascism. It's all there. I mean, it, this whole voter suppression thing is another area where fascist shit really fucking starts to take hold. It really is. And not only that, not only the voter suppression, now Trump has every fucking Republican thinking no matter who wins, the election's rigged, especially if he loses. I shouldn't say, you know, he has everybody thinking no matter who wins. He's got everybody, every Republican in this country thinking that if he loses, the Democrats cheated and rigged the fucking election. This is like the biggest case of psychological fucking bullshit manipulation in the history of ever. It's fucking crazy, crazy shit. The party that is doing all this cheating and manipulation with votes and voting are the ones that have their party convinced that the other party is the one that's going to fucking cheat. It's fucking masterful. It is. It's fucked up. It's sneaky. It's nasty. It's fucking snake-like. And, oh, God, I despise that shit. Well, yeah, there you go. This, All this is, like I said, this is all public record, pu public knowledge. There are articles and articles and articles about it with proof. Shit is cited, fucking listed and recorded. You name it. And it's not doing any good. It's really not. Nobody fucking really cares. It doesn't seem like that. Not that much. I don't know. Yeah. I think we're kind of fucked. I kind of think we're fucked until the Voting Rights Act gets reestablished and those rules are put forth where these fuckhead states can't mess with election shit without the approval from the federal government. We're fucked. I think we're truly fucked. Here's a last note on this kind of horror story part of this episode. When delivering the opinion of the majority in this case, this Shelby County versus Holder, Chief Justice John G. Roberts said, Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act imposes current burdens that are no longer responsive to the current conditions in the voting districts in question. Although the constraints this section places on specific states made sense in the 1960s and 1970s, they do not any longer and now represent an unconstitutional violation of the power to regulate elections that the Constitution reserves for the states. Bullshit! <coughs> bullshit! Bullshit! Forever and ever and ever. Fucking bull fucking shit, you asshole John Roberts. Fuck you. Bullshit. Roberts, you fucking killed democracy in the United States, or at least you drove a stake 
into the heart of the rotting corpse of democracy in the United States. That's probably a more apt way of saying it, I believe. He really did, I think, and here's why. These fucking Republicans have gotten away with stealing control of this country ever since that ruling. Shit has been crazy. Do yourself a favor. Here's what I would definitely recommend. There's a documentary out there. I want you to check it out. And that covers the issue of kind of the the gutting of the Voting Rights Act much, much better than I can. The name of that documentary is After Selma. After Selma, the city. Okay? I watched it a couple weeks ago. And that's kind of what led up to this episode. I thought, man, this needs, I want to look into this a little bit more. You know, I know I covered a pretty wide span of time going back to the end of slavery, the end of the Civil War until now. But this documentary definitely does that and far better than I did. Trust me. So watch it. I watched it on Amazon Prime. I'm sure you can YouTube it. Check it out if you get a chance. So all those gains gained by Freedom Summer, the gutting this Supreme Court ruling, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, it seems to nullify all that in a lot of ways. It's fucked. Shit's fucked, man. It's fucked. Well, there you go. That was a very condensed history of Freedom Summer. And more than that, a very condensed history and the right to vote for black people in the United States since the end of the Civil War. My final thoughts, what are my final thoughts? I know I keep saying we're fucked, we're fucked, we're fucked over and over again. Vote. I Help people vote in these areas where if you live in an area where all this fuckery has gone on, take pe- drive people to the polls. Help people vote. I mean, that's going to be my plan during the presidential election to help as many people vote as possible legally. Of course. I mean, dude, let me say this. The Republicans have to cheat to win. Democrats don't. That's been pretty much sorted out. I'm sorry to say Republicans, you're kind of a thing of the past, you know, go, just go away, go away. The best way to help them go away is vote and help others vote who have difficulties getting to polling places or registering to vote or anything like that. Definitely trying to come up with ways that I can help in voter registrations, that kind of thing through the podcast in some way, shape or form. I'm working on some stuff. Voting is super important to me. It really is. I always, I believe everyone who's eligible should vote no matter what, even if you don't like the candidates, anything like that. It's a very important part of being and living in a democracy. Now, that may be kind of naive on my part with all this, you know, fucked up suppression and shit going on, but exercising your right to vote is very, very important to me. So please do it and please help anyone who might need help getting to vote too. So there you go. A huge, huge thank you to the Bell Rays, specifically Lisa, for letting me use those fucking awesome songs in this episode. Also, huge thanks to Neil of Daptone Records for letting me use Mr. Charles Bradley's songs in this episode. That's huge to both of you. I thank you so much. Thanks also to Red Brontosaurus Records for your support of the Bobcast. And a thank you to the ACLU for doing what you do to preserve democracy and fairness in the United States. Donate to the ACLU if you can, please. Lastly, thank you for listening. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm going to leave you with Charles Bradley's rendition of the song Changes. I hope you enjoy.
Wish I could go back and change. 